0: Hey everyone, Ben Rhodes here. I'm so excited to introduce Crooked's newest weekly news show, Pod Save the UK. Pod Save the UK is our first ever show covering UK politics from a UK perspective. Each week, comedian Nish Kumar and journalist Coco Khan are joined by politicians, experts, and famous friends to unpack the latest political news, look for solutions, and inspire action. You'll really want to check this out. Nish and Coco are so funny, they're so smart, they're a great hang. They're exactly the people that you want to ride along with to understand what on earth is going on in the United Kingdom. Take a listen to the latest episode and make sure to subscribe to Pod Save the UK for new episodes each
1: week, wherever you find your podcasts. Welcome to episode two of Pod Save the UK. I'm Nish Kumar.
2: And I'm KK Khan.
1: And we're talking politics and protest.
2: Did our rights just get stolen from under our noses while the world watched the coronation?
1: Did PC Pod screw it up? Or were we the ones that got screwed?
2: I'm a journalist. He's a comedian. And we love and sometimes hate politics.
1: And we really believe Britain can do better than this.
2: Politics is not a spectator sport. We've got a vote, we've got free speech, and we want to use it. But
1: we don't want to end up in a police cell. So, with the help of a special guest, one of the smartest activist lawyers around, we're going to fix this. Let's do it. Welcome back to Pod Save the UK. If you listened last week, and you really should have done, uh, you'll know that we were talking about ridding Britain of the monarchy, potentially. But sadly, Coco...
2: Well, I mean, spoilers, we did not actually <laughs> manage to do it. We tried. Our arguments were brilliant, but uh just didn't inspire a revolution this week. But, I mean, there will be others. Although, fair play to him, Graham Smith from the anti-monarchy group Republic, I mean, he had a good go. <laughs> he and some of his mates ended up in a police cell when he should have, of course... Not have been, he was just exercising his right to free speech.
1: Yeah, we're going to come back to that uh, later on in the show. Um, but just uh, sort of in brief, uh, a YouGov polls showed 54% of the UK watched some of the coronation, 31% watched none, 11% watched highlights. I actually didn't realise they'd put a highlights package together. Like match of the day. Yeah, like match <laughs> of the day, like it's a sporting event. We can just cut, we just show the goals.
2: Just like grumpy man, grumpy man, grumpy man with crown, grumpy man... <laughs> Mistress with crown. <laughs> what? <laughs> Good highlight reel, to be fair.
1: <laughs> Truly, the royal side chick got, her, got the bag. <laughs> she
2: did well, an inspiration to us all. Um, did, did, you, did, you, did, you, did you do the shit?
1: <laughs> to contextualise, uh, last week I suggested uh, that I was going to try and time a bowel movement at the exact moment the people of the United Kingdom were encouraged to pledge allegiance to the king. Sadly, I had a coffee too early. I mistimed it. Oh, no. Uh, I'm not happy about the results. So did you have to do
2: The Allegiance instead?
1: No, I mean, I I didn't think it was a binary (laughs) option. Well, if you haven't done the shit, you've got to do The Allegiance. (laughs) I I unfortunately missed uh, The Allegiance bit. I did watch bits of it, so I'm very much in the kind of... um, you know, 54% of people that watched some of it. Did Did you watch any of it?
2: I watched like 15 minutes of it before I was going out to meet some friends the Republican in me just wouldn't allow me to watch it all but the 15 minutes I got was the best 15 because it was it was just the horses coming in now just as an aside my favourite film of all time is Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls (laughs) (laughs) and those horses had such showgirl energy for a start they've all got names like Icon and Shadow it's so camp they're all in their kind of plumage like the Roman centurions and those horse riders could not keep control of those horses when you watch the parade oh my god 250 million pounds they estimate was spent not enough on lessons though <laughs> some, of, some of those guys that they were going to fall off so i saw that and then i i left and and then when i came back there was a, a new king
1: i i think <laughs> at some point in the course of this podcast we will have to do some sort of special bonus episode about the fact that your favorite film is Showgirls. <laughs> i did i didn't know that it's new information to me have you seen it of course, I've seen showgirls. Okay, okay just I, I, I was exactly the right age to be a boy at the time—a heterosexual boy who was desperately trying to see boobs anywhere. <laughs> in, in the pre-internet era, showgirls were about was about all you well, got I'm in very terms sorry of to say televised boobs. That
2: soon we're going to have this conversation about showgirls, but all you need to remember is that those Windsor Greys, those yes. those horses—that's our version of it. That's that's all you need to know, really. Um, but anyway, enough about. Camp horses, coming up, we'll be finding out how to stage a protest. So, let's get into it. What are we saving this week, Nish?
1: So, we're saving our right to protest. So over the course of the coronation weekend, uh, there were 64 arrests on Coronation Day. Uh, Among those were six anti-monarchy protesters. Among those were also uh, three people who weren't protesting at all, but were actually employed by Westminster City Council to distribute rape alarms to women who were travelling home on their own. It has turned out to be something of a shit show. Um, The key element here is that the police have been empowered by a new piece of legislation, uh, which is the uh, 2023 Public Order Act, uh, which came into force uh, in England and Wales a few days before the coronation. And police have used powers that they were given by this act to arrest anti-monarchy protesters. Uh, They held them until the coronation was over and then let them go. And the Met actually issued an apology. Uh, So a small group of people who planned a legitimate protest, and some of whom weren't actually even protesting, ended up arrested and then released without charge simply for expressing an opinion.
2: Right, and obviously the police were saying, oh, we had all eyes on us, we just didn't want to embarrass the UK with there being, you know, scuffles on the side or, you know, witty signs on the BBC footage. But of course... It backfired because all anyone is talking about is these arrests and actually it has been a bit of an embarrassment and it makes us look terrible, like a dictatorship, draconian, out of control. You mentioned there the new legislation that's empowering it, so I'm just going to give our listeners some quick facts on it. It's the government's second big piece of legislation changing protest laws in less than two years. The first changes came in restricting how much noise you could make Um, and this new act goes a lot. Further. So protesters who interfere with key national infrastructure, I don't know if our listeners and audience can see, but I am doing air quotes around <laughs> key national infrastructure, including roads and railways face a possible 12 months in jail.
1: Yeah, the, the air quotes may be a reference to the fact that we started recording this podcast an hour and a half after we were supposed to, because I had to use one of those key pieces of infrastructure, a train, to get to London from Leeds. Were you and being really noisy? You, were you yeah, being noisy? Let me tell you, the trains are disrupting themselves. <laughs> if you want to arrest anybody for slowing down the UK, let it be the private companies that run our fucking train network. <laughs> Forget about protesters. Uh, there's also an important piece of legislation, and this was part of the grounds that a lot of the people were detained certainly from the protest group republic anyone who fixes themselves to an object or building to create an immovable object a tactic which is known as locking on could be jailed for six months some of the protesters uh who were there protesting for uh, the republic they were they had luggage sort of ties with them mm. and these basic luggage ties were designed to put their signs together But the uh, police's rationale was that they were going to use the luggage ties to tie themselves to bits of the road. The public order bill has already, even before it was passed, been condemned. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk, said that it imposed serious and undue restrictions on the right to protest and described it as wholly unnecessary as the UK police already have the powers to act against violent and disruptive demonstrations. The actions of the police this weekend were even criticised by the leftist snowflakes of the Conservative (laughs) Party. So the Conservative Party itself has been massively critical of it. The former Home Office Minister, David Davis, told the Commons that the Home Affairs Select Committee should be invited to review the laws. And he actually said that within one week of the public order bill entering the law and in its first serious use, we end up with the head of the Met having to apologise to people who were wrongfully arrested. Um, various people who previously had criticised the legislation have essentially used the events of the weekend to say, well... We told you so, I mean, basically. it is
2: super vague, you know, yeah. the language that they use. The new law bans, again, air quotes for the listeners, serious disruption. I mean, who defines what is serious? I mean, they're now saying that, if you carry super glue, they have a right to search you. You know, I just have some trainers and the soles are coming off. I, I regularly just need to just glue those back on, mate. You know, there's a lot of uses for super glue. Uh, we are going to talk more about this, by the way. We've got a fantastic guest, one of the UK's smartest activist lawyers. But um, I thought it might be interesting to talk about. Our own protest experiences. Yeah,
1: I was going to say, is this something that worries you as somebody who, I know you've been on uh, various protests in the past, is this law change something that now concerns you?
2: You know, it's so weird because I don't know if it's something about me. I don't know if I've got some sort of like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern sort of thing about me. Yeah. Oh, she's doing a Shakespeare reference.
1: She's Listen, she's she will reference Showgirls, <laughs> but she will also reference Hamlet, okay? Yeah. <laughs>
2: She'll you do You never both. know what you're going to get. She, you do, you but don't even, know, do you know what, what you're I mean? going to get. I, I sometimes wonder if I was destined to always be on the side of the action because I've right. been to so many protests. I've been to student protests about the tuition fees, many, many protests, you know, supporting anti-racist causes, stop Brexit protests, reclaim the street protests, austerity protests. This is a weird list. I'm just like yeah. listing all the...
1: <laughs> well, it's an interesting list of everything that's gone wrong <laughs> yeah. in the country in the last 13 yeah. years. Okay. I think what it is is a dabbing and dying of the state of the United Kingdom.
2: Let's do a game. Let's list all our societal open wounds. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I've been to loads of them and then I'll go home and watch it on the TV and it'll be on, like, there were water cannons today, there were yeah. police horses. And I was like, really? I just sat in the sun and just, like, sort of jigged around to someone playing a steel drum <laughs> for about a whole day. So, you know, it's, it's weird because, of course, all of these laws worry me terribly But I do think it is worth saying that the vast majority of protests and protesters are just very, very calm and it's very, very nice and, you know, it is just very unnecessary.
1: Yeah. I mean, my history with protests starts with my mother not letting me go on the Iraq war protest because she was scared I was going to be arrested. (laughs) I'll be honest, the events of this weekend have not improved Bena's mood. (laughs) They've not improved Peter Kumar's mood one bit. <laughs> but I've also done. I, I've I've spoken at protests. Like I spoke at the uh, Stop Trump protest, and I actually did stand up comedy at the Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. And I'm now left at a situation where I'm thinking: Is would my comedy have got me arrested? I mean. I would describe my voice as causing serious disruption to most people who hear it. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the podcast, by the way. But it definitely... Listen, based on this weekend, it does concern me and it does seem that the bill has empowered uh, the police to essentially take people into custody for a a period of time they get to determine and then release them with a quick apology, which doesn't seem like a healthy, functioning democracy with the right to protest enshrined.
2: Can I just ask you quickly about your XR thing then? Yeah. Would you describe your concert as loud
1: well first of all thank you for calling it a concert <laughs> i i'm thrilled i'm thrilled to be i'm thrilled to have my comedy described as a concert it makes me sound like i was re- giving a recital of some vivaldi I, I would definitely describe my performance as as loud right yeah. okay uh, i i would definitely say that that was but, but it does the problem is because the law itself is vague which is not really what you want from laws It does seem to leave these huge gaps that are open to the specific interpretation of a specific police officer in that specific moment. So, look, coming up next, we'll be getting down to it with a man who knows all about protest and the law. Barrister and campaigner Paul Powsland, a man who went viral after being threatened with arrest for holding up a blank sign.
2: So let's talk to someone who can hopefully tell us everything we need to know about our rights and get us out of a police cell sometime. Activist and barrister Paul Powsland. Hi, Paul.
1: Hi. Have you seen
0: Showgirls? (laughs) I'm going to do that awful thing about uh, Out of Touch barristers. and so I don't even know what that is. Okay, okay. It's like that judge in the 90s. He doesn't he didn't know anything about popular culture at all. It's like, oh, no. Well, well,
1: this is a film from the 90s. There's absolutely no reason you should know what I it mean, is. I mean, it's
2: not a good film, but that is what makes it good. Anyway, back to you. So I just want to say I love your Twitter handle, which is Rights of Nature and Climate Activist Barrister and River Guardian. Love defending and protecting trees and rivers. So... Thank you for protecting all those things. And famously, many protesters, including Just Stop Oil. So very welcome to you. Uh, We like practical politics. Um, So really, we just wanted to ask you, how can you protest without going to jail?
1: Oh, that's a very wide (laughs) question, isn't it? I guess just in light of the weekend's events, this is the first time we've seen the public order bill applied by the police. How do you actually avoid being arrested on a protest? I think that's
0: the scary thing about what happened this weekend was that um, Republic... And the the head of Republic did literally everything you are supposed to do in order to stay lawful. You know, they are a legitimate, respectful, lawful organisation. They've never done anything, any protest unlawful. And they did the usual liaison you're supposed to do with the police. You know, if you go on Twitter, um, the head of Republic, Graham Smith, has has listed all the meetings he had with Mm, the police mm -hmm. where he outlined exactly what Republic was going to do. And yet that wasn't enough to protect them. Um, from being arrested because the police seem to just uh, want to arrest them regardless.
1: Can you just um, run us through briefly, you said they've done all the things that you're legally required to do. Just can you give us the sort of top line? What are well, you're, the not, things and the things, you're
0: not even legally required to do it. Right. right. You know, you, 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 <laughs> some, lots of them, they went beyond the legal requirements of what they need to do to inform the police. They, they voluntarily told them all the details of everything they wanted to do, all the speeches, where it was going to be. Liaised with them, said, is that okay? And the police said yes. And then they still nicked them oh, and wow. possibly used the intelligence they got from those meetings to know exactly where to wow. arrest them um, and I think that that's, that's what scares me a bit about this legislation and the way it's being used and the key thing we need to remember is that when a new law is passed um, there's, there's different circles if you like the first circle is the kind of conduct which um, if, if it goes forward to a court the court will convict and say that that is a breach of the law mm-hmm. and a criminal offence, right? But beyond that circle there's a whole extra circle of conduct which can be brought in by the police's reasonable suspicion to arrest you for the thing, right? So there's loads of conduct which wouldn't actually be found to be a criminal offence if it goes to court, but which is enough to give you reasonable suspicion. To arrest, mm-hmm. and, and every time you expand the circle of things that are actually criminal offences, you also expand the circle of things that the police can reasonably arrest for. And that's what we saw on um, Saturday, was that by expanding this new law, which came in last week about lock-ons, that then gave the police a whole new way to arrest people on suspicion of locking on. And in the case of Republic, it was for having some luggage straps in their van
1: and then that's why that's why the overwhelming majority of these people were all released without charge but what you're saying is that they've been given powers essentially just to just to keep them locked up for the duration of the event that they're protesting effectively yeah
0: and 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 using using um the logic of the police on saturday it's genuinely hard to imagine how you could go on a protest without having something that they could arrest for on similar grounds you know shoelaces bike locks straps on the back of your rucksack, all of those are pretty much the same or indeed more serious in some ways than the luggage straps that the Republic people were arrested for. So un- unless you're going to go naked to the protest... Which, um,
2: that has other problems. Well, yeah, exactly. And then, you know,
0: um, well, it's, it's hard to say exactly how you can avoid it. And this is the problem if we have a police force that seems to, to want to go uh, up to and beyond its powers to try and stop peaceful and lawful protests going ahead. It's, it leads to a very scary situation.
2: And what should you do if you are encountering the police when you're processing? I just mentioned this because there's a video circulating of you online, you get challenged by the police and you kind of challenge back. Although, let's have a listen to it first.
3: Yeah. Can, can, we, can we chant Not My King? I wouldn't advise it, You wouldn't advise it, why not? Because it's,
0: it's free speech, isn't it?
3: Why can't we chant so Not My it King? What do you mean by escalate? What do you mean by a public nuisance? I know what you're trying to do. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm trying to work so, out so where my right of freedom of expression lies today. May, we we, we are, we
3: be are be entitled
0: for chanting Not My King. No, you start causing public nuisance. By chanting Not My King. Possibly.
2: so So, what was actually happening there, Paul?
0: So it was just a group of um, Republican protesters who were chanting on the street, uh, I think not my king. um, And the police came along and said, effectively, you may want to stop that. Otherwise, we may arrest you effectively. Um, And the key thing there that shows what you should probably do in a lot of situations is film it. um, Mm -hmm. Because the police have repeatedly in the past lied about their interactions with members of the public in these instances. And if you got it on film, then that's direct evidence against it and also will hopefully make the police back away from going beyond their powers mm. um, because they realise they're on film. Um, and uh, it, it depends obviously on your, um, your willingness to challenge the police. You know, as yeah. a lawyer... Uh, as a barrister who likes talking, likes a good argument, yeah. I'm willing to go up and say, no, that's nonsense. This is not breaking the law. Tell me what section you're saying is being broken here and how. But of course, to a lot of members of the public, if a police officer says don't do that yeah. and it's a criminal offence, they're going to back down because mm. they're worried and afraid and they don't want to spend the night in the cells. And this is why what we call the chilling effect. So again, you pass a new law. There's the thing that could a- it could actually be found to be a criminal offence in the magistrates' court or in the Crown Court, but there's also the whole area of behaviour around it that the police can threaten for arresting Mm. for, that then chills people away from exercising their important democratic right to freedom of speech and protest.
1: So let's talk about the the law in of itself. So Wendy Chamberlain, who's the Liberal Democrat MP for North East 5, said that the problem was that there wasn't enough time because it had been rushed through the Royal Assent, which is the final stage of a bill becoming law. Is the problem that this just hasn't received enough scrutiny, or is it just a bad piece of legislation? I think the two are interrelated, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's sort of
0: a, a rush through um, act to deal with a political issue, a political an issue that's been made into a political issue, but actually isn't a real issue in reality. You know, it's this sort of like slight moral panic about just stop oil. Mm, yeah. um, but actually they already have powers, for instance, to clear protesters who are blocking things. So if you're blocking the highway by locking on, then there's powers under... under um, obstruction of the highway to stop that. Yeah, um, And I don't think the government have provided a situation that um, needed this, that wasn't being dealt with before, but now is dealt with by this legislation. And it's badly drafted. Um, it just says attaching yourself effectively and then going equipped to attach yourself, which right. is this problem. It brings in mm. so many things and no one knows what.
1: Yeah,
0: And I, I would genuinely say that, you know, people who go to um, protest on their bike and have a lock on there, a serious risk of arrest if the police want to. And what well, you're to do? Because they
1: brought a bike lock.
0: Brought a bike lock, it, and it, it's an item that can be used to attach yourself to people. You've got or a other bike things. lock here, Paul. Exactly. I saw I had, you. I, had, I saw I had, you riding
2: had, on your bike. I had
0: one on Saturday. And now it's right. like, do, do I do I not go to protest? Do I not go to protest with my bike, or do I leave my protest? Do I leave my bike at the protest unlocked so it gets nicked, and the police will never investigate because they've given up uh, investigating bike thefts now because they're too busy nicking peaceful climate protesters.
2: Yeah, I think just I just want to talk to you about Just Stop Oil very briefly because I know they are a controversial group. Um, I'm generally in favour. Of everyone doing something better than doing nothing. But I don't think it's a given that everyone is necessarily agreeing with the tactics or even on their side. I mean, I know plenty of Labour voters who have, I I use Labour as the barometer here, you know, whatever. Like, you know, people who would ordinarily be uh, critical of the government who have felt that some of the tactics involved are unfair on just general public walking around. I'm really mindful. I don't want to sound like I'm being overly critical. I totally understand that the point of these tactics is to gather uh, press and media attention and... And it uh, has worked. There was one uh, years ago, I remember it was like, uh, I think it was stopping a tube at yeah, Canning Town. The infamous Canning Town. The yeah. in, infamous. And I, I recall at that moment, I mean, we're from the same, sort of roughly the same part in East London. I know Canning Town's a very kind of low income area. And I just could feel that all those people were genuinely trying to get to work. They have no power over anything. And I did, in that moment, I was like, oof. I get it. I get how. Now, obviously, just for clarity, after that, Extinction Rebellion said that they were going to review their tactics and they never did that again, which is great and, like, big them up for doing that. But I'm just saying, like, it's not a given that people can support this. Is there any other way that people can protest?
3: Mm.
0: I guess this is from the not, not like that, uh, argument against protesting, yeah. which is the use saying I agree with them because who doesn't agree that climate change is a serious issue and needs to be addressed, but the way they're doing it is wrong. And the way I you respond to that is okay, fine, we can have a complete multiplicity of tactics. What would you do? Yeah. How how would you protest? And what's interesting about Just Stop Oil is that you know a lot of one of the big responses is you know why are you stopping ordinary people going to work or blocking roads or trains or that kind of thing? Um, go and protest against the oil companies. What's fascinating is Just Stop Oil did that. Mm. They blockaded oil terminals and they went and smashed up petrol pumps directly targeting the oil companies what happened the oil companies went to the high court used incredibly expensive and fancy lawyers hundreds of thousands of pounds if not millions of pounds worth of lawyers um, and bought their own laws called injunctions which then stopped that protest and made it um, a bigger punishment to protest on an oil company forecourt than you'd get elsewhere mm. so they right. effectively stopped that protest yeah and 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 basically made protesters risk uh, risk their homes if they carry on um protesting at oil terminals or on petrol station forecourts so then of course uh just oil went back to the roads and protested there instead yeah. you know and it, what's interesting is that they did go against um they did go against oil companies directly and that was stopped by what i regard as quite an illiberal. An unfair use of what's called anti-protest injunctions.
2: Mm. I don't think we're going to solve it here but I was just curious about like, the other tactics.
0: And, and also I, I don't think it should be taken as a given that people do necessarily disagree fully with groups like Just Up Oil, Insulate Britain or Indeed XR um, there's obviously a, quite a, a strong media campaign against mm-hmm. them um, but for instance there was a video I think just the other day on Twitter where people were, were clapping Just Up Oil protesters yeah. on the streets and also more importantly in a number of cases where these protest cases have gone in front of juries, juries have acquitted Yes. Even when it's clear the protesters were in fact blocking the street and legally it appeared that um, all of uh, the law law against them was made out, they still acquitted them on what's called jury nullification, which means effectively the right of juries to um, acquit according to their conscience. Mm, And the law is now having to react to that because they don't like it by not even letting these protesters state in court why they're protesting. Mm. So recently...
2: Oh, my goodness. I know.
0: Cracking down that ancient right to (laughs) drive by jury. A judge has sent people to jail for saying climate change in his court. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. For eight weeks, a guy got for saying
1: why why he was protesting. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that's happening.
2: That is very, very chilling.
1: How have we ended up in this situation, Paul? You know, in terms of with this piece of legislation, is it because... Just stop oil, I mean, I, I think it's incredible because I think what they've done is push the climate crisis to the forefront of the national conversation. And I think that, that it is to be massively commended. And part of that are specifically their tactics. I, I, I think that it's to be commended. But is it, because, is it because they've been successful that we've ended up here? Or is this sort of just the Conservative Party attempting to kind of culture war its way out of having caused the kind of financial crisis? Is our right to protest a sort of casualty of the Conservative Party's inability to talk about anything successful that they've achieved as a government?
0: I think that's definitely part of it. Although I also think that it is, Uh, the nature of the climate crisis was somewhat going to make this kind of crunch a little bit inevitable. Because what we have is a predicament, effectively. We have a crisis um, whereby the continued operation of business as usual means the deaths of millions of people in the global south and possibly, probably the collapse of our own civilization. And uh, however, our entire society is set up in a certain way to properly stop change and the most powerful and richest people have the greatest uh, interest in not changing. So in that circumstance, we were always going to get people who were going to protest in a way that was going to potentially send them to jail. And we were always going to have the inevitable crackdown. Mm. And I think we're only in some ways at the start of this journey. And I don't entirely know where it's going to end up, but it is really crucial for everyone that we push back and we keep those rights. And we, where rights to protest are threatened, we come back and challenge them. And as an example, for instance, back on the Republican protests in autumn last year, at the time of the accession of Charles, there were reports that um, people were being arrested for shouting, not my king or having a not my king sign. And so I went down there with a blank sign to try and troll them effectively. Yeah to say, actually, okay, you, you're arresting for this, what about this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then got that officer on video saying he would arrest me if I wrote Not My King on it. Put yeah. that on Twitter, it went viral, and the Met issued a statement rowing back and saying, right. actually, no, we're not going to arrest people for having a Not My King sign. And next day, a group of 30 of us went and did that protest. So rights are a constant, they're, they're not something that's sort of handed down to us on a stone tablet that are always going to be there. They're a constant, um, constant evolution back and forth. And if rights are threatened, we need to push back on that. Yeah.
2: yeah. Paul, I wanted to talk to you about your tree protest. I know that you're actually right now out on bail.
0: Yeah. Um, so I set up a group called Lawyers for Nature a few years ago after the Sheffield tree scandal where thousands of trees uh, were threatened uh, with destruction unnecessarily. And so now uh, if a tree is threatened somewhere, it will usually wend, the case will usually wend its way to me somehow via Twitter wow. or whatever. And one case came to me earlier this year in Wellingborough um, where a developer wanted to chop down, uh, I think, over 100 trees These beautiful ancient, uh, a beautiful veteran lime avenue, one of the kind of glories of the town, effectively. Mm. And I did an advice saying why it was probably, on the evidence, unlawful to chop those trees down because they had tree preservation orders on them, and thought that would be enough to save them. Uh, But it turns out it wasn't because the police still wanted to help chop them down anyway. Wow. So I then went. I then had a day off, so I went up to Wellingborough on the train to show my advice to the police in person. So I went to the officer on the ground and literally took him through my advice, saying, "This is the law." So this means that to chop these trees down is unlawful. And he was like, that's very interesting. Anyway, if all of you don't move out of here, we're going to nick you for aggravated trespass. And I was like, wow. have you not? And there's a video of me yelling the questions at him in my advice. Like, what about the tree? And I won't go into tree tree yeah. preservation order, regulations with you, but what, what about <laughs> this regulation? What about that? And it's literally, it's like an automaton. And he's like, wow. he says, you're throwing the law at him. He's like, anyway, we're going to nick you if you don't move out of the way. And so at that point I had a choice where basically either I had to just let them move me out of the way unlawfully as I saw it, and chop the trees down or do something else. So I literally got a protest to help shove me off a tree and climbed yeah. the tree. And then they arrested me whilst I was in the tree they put me under arrest but I was still in the, they, they couldn't and like I could see the office like, they were like oh we want to we want to get you it's but they couldn't it's
2: like Tom and Jerry, Jerry <laughs> stuff.
0: And so I was under arrest for like eight hours while I was also going viral on Twitter telling everyone I was under arrest wow. and doing like news interviews in the tree um, and eventually they managed to put like put a pen around me and police taped around the edge to make it into a crime scene <laughs>
2: I'm glad we can laugh about it now but oh my god yeah, you must have been so stressed absolutely yeah. ridiculous
0: really? um, but it illustrates a really important principle right which is what's called punishment by process. So a lot of the time, even if um, arrests won't stack up in court, the police will still arrest you on suspicion anyway, and that achieves what they want. And that can be different things. So on Saturday, the punishment by process for the Republic demonstrators and the head of Republic was that they couldn't do their key protest on what is probably the, the big... Yeah, it's, it's course, like, yeah. It's like It's like Christmas for them. Even, <laughs> even more important than like A once-in-a-lifetime yeah. thing. Graham yeah. Smith has been looking forward to that protest probably most of his life, yeah. and he was denied the chance to do it. Yeah. In my case in Wellingborough, the punishment by process would would have been that they chop the tree down. And that's what they do. So the police would the police liaise with the developer. So they, they arrest you to get you out of the way. The tree comes down and then they're like, oh very sorry. Yeah, it was not aggravated trespass after all. But the tree's not coming back, is it? Wow. but of course in that case they couldn't do that because I was actually in the tree and they couldn't actually get me out <laughs> of it which is why it was important and then I, I thought the punishment process might happen the next day because they, they, after the end of the day I came down voluntarily and they bailed me not to climb any tree in Northamptonshire <laughs> one of the most comedy bail conditions oh my- you can probably imagine and I thought oh the tree's going to go and then I woke up on, the next day on Twitter and someone from XR climbed it in the morning <laughs> and now those trees are still there and the local people are fighting in court to save those trees but the point is had I not climbed the tree, then they would be gone. The punishment by process would have already happened and there's no way of bringing those trees back. Right, And that that punishment by process still carries on, right? So even if I go forward and get convicted, I don't think I will because the law is on my side, I think. Yeah judging by my own advice, um, (laughs) which I I hope stacks up. (laughs) Um, But even if I go forward and get convicted, the most I get for aggravated trespass is a small fine. I've already lost more in lost wages and train fares having to go up and do a police interview and go back again another time, you know, and all the stress and hassle of it. And that's a lot of the time what happens. The stress and hassle that you have from being arrested and going through the court and police process is actually more than the punishment if you get found guilty. So they
2: know that someone who is not a barrister would be very afraid to go through that.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Paul. That was absolutely no, it's brilliant.
2: Genuinely so inspiring. And thanks for taking
1: interest in these issues. It's really important stuff.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. As Great. is
1: watching Showgirls.
2: Follow Paul Powsland on Twitter. He is doing the Lord's work.
1: Okay, so the coronation, for all the issues around it, could not have come at a better time for one man. Weirdly, I'm not talking about Prince Charles. I am, of course, talking about the Indian Prince Charles, Rishi Sunak, because the timing of the coronation meant that none of us were really talking over the course of the weekend about the fact that the Conservative Party exceeded Their own worst case scenario in the recent local elections. They lost over 1,000 seats. And just before we started recording today, Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer was doing his level best to put the focus back on this disastrous election results at Prime Minister's Questions.
3: The Prime Minister said he was going to lose 1,000 seats and then he managed it. After 13 years, a Tory promise they actually haven't broken. And this is the prime minister who's only had to fight for two things
1: in his life. Last year he lost a Tory beauty contest right. to the member
3: for South West Norfolk yeah. who then lost to a lettuce. Yeah. Last week when he finally came into contact with voters yeah. he lost everywhere. Yeah. No matter who the electorate is the prime minister keeps entering a two horse race and somehow finishing third. Yeah. Given his track record Who does
1: he think he's actually got a mandate from?
2: So how are you feeling about the results, Nish?
1: Well, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I always find it funny when Conservatives (laughs) lose. Um, but I also um, you know we 've talked a little bit about mm-hmm. on the podcast mm-hmm. already about this concept of chat shit get banged of uh, which you you made Americans say which I will never what, ever stop your being grateful you're saying
2: that is really interesting because you say it really formally like you 're sort of saying it like a, a Latin phrase well, for a species I, now... Felis cattis chat shit get banged it's just I... it 's it's not how you say it but anyway that 's fine let 's move on i 'm
3: now
1: trying to pos- <laughs> it as a serious piece of political analysis because here's the thing, there have been consequences for the Conservative Party there are various reports across different newspapers that Conservatives uh, on the campaign found that they were constantly having the spectre of Liz Truss and Boris Johnson thrown back in their face and Mm -hmm. Rishi Sunak has been unable to detoxify the party and so they have got banged in the way that we can bang politicians (laughs) which is by hitting them at the ballot box and so in a sense I do think that this is a sort of Positive thing because there have to be electoral consequences when you do something like say for example wiping thirty billion pounds off the public purse in the course of a single mini budget. So from that perspective, I feel very good about it. How are you feeling about the local elections? I mean, result?
2: I feel like it is the it has kind of signalled to the world. Well, certainly signalled to Westminster rather that the culture war stuff isn't working Yeah, you know they, the Conservatives have tried every culture war tactic they can in the book even the voter ID thing there was nothing wrong there was no evidence of major electoral fraud that was what was that play so I think actually the, the public have seen through it and said yeah but you know my bills are still astronomically high and yeah. getting worse you know we, we'll talk later in the series about housing the yeah. Tories said they were going to do something on housing and they haven't done anything they've kicked it into the long grass and the problems are getting worse and worse and worse so i think actually like it was it was nice to see the public say not today satan we see through you we know what's going on having said that though i am nervous about kind of labor complacency yeah um i still believe they're not saying what they're going to do and they're not saying anything radical and we really need radical change yeah and i'm nervous that if they just think oh we're just going to plain sail to number 10 we're not going to get the long-term problems solved.
1: Well, uh, Labour were definitely absolutely buoyant by these results and Keir Starmer looked as full of beans as it's possible for him to look (laughs) uh, at PMQs and he also said that this showed that the party was ready to be the next party of government but also ready to win an outright majority and that One thing is possibly where Labour optimism needs to be uh, tempered because uh, Sir John Curtis, who's renowned for his kind of political analysis, uh, shifted the focus onto the total number of seats won rather than just focusing on the amount of seats the Conservative Party lost. And in that final analysis, Labour ended up winning 2,603 seats and the Conservatives won 2,217 seats. So when you take out the amount of seats that they lost and you look at the amount of seats that both the parties actually won, the difference is 386 seats. So it's very much all to play for. And in terms of establishing a parliamentary majority, which the Labour Party will need to win at least 326 seats to do, that still is in the balance. So now we're kind of starting to have conversations about possible coalitions. And uh, the Lib Dem leader, Sir Ed Davey, over the weekend refused to rule out a coalition with the Labour Party. Do you think that the pathway to victory is some sort of vaguely progressive alliance?
2: Listen, I've long believed in proportional representation and actually I think like parties working together might be a good thing. Um, Having said that though, that whole uh, condemn thing that was going on with the Conservatives and the Lib Dems, that didn't work out so great. So, you know, it it remains to be seen. I just think that most important is that Labour doesn't get complacent, doesn't take for granted its votership and actually come out with some radical changes that we really, 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 really need and actually are probably not that radical because most of the public really want the trains nationalised. So anyway, just do that. Why don't you just do it? (laughs) Well, in
1: terms of significant things we've learned from this local election, uh, beyond just the results themselves, these were the first elections where people were required to use voter ID. Um, and
2: for no the, reason, we don't understand why. Just for clarity, yeah. This is
1: the the uh, amount of electoral fraud is absolutely infinitesimally tiny. It's it, it it's very small. And a lot of the identification, uh, as we've previously discussed, uh, did favour older people. uh, And there is a fear that this has been designed to uh, disenfranchise younger people. Uh, Now, it's too early to know the full extent of the impact. Turnout wasn't significantly down on previous elections, which is a good thing. But it's also worth bearing in mind that turnout in local elections is often appallingly low. (laughs) Um, There's anecdotal evidence of voters being turned away from the polls across England. And perhaps the most concerning thing is that the electoral reform society has said that if these rules were applied to a general election where millions more voters across the whole country will be voting the outcome is likely to be worse and it's already calling for the law to be repealed
2: but the main thing is if there is a coalition what are we going to call it <laughs> <laughs> cuz condemn that was a bad thing that happened but it was zingy wasn't it is it going to be liblab liblab touch vagina isn't it <laughs> Is a touch on the vagina side, which I've got no problem with. Vaginas are sturdy, they are important, and we should all know more about them. You know, they are wonderful organs. But I'm just saying, it's certainly
1: a a vaginal name. Vagina
2: adjacent is what you would say, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I know you would phrase it. (laughs) Um, Which brings us quite neatly on to. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs)
1: Talk me through this segue. (laughs) <laughs> whilst we're on the subject of <laughs> vaginal adjacency.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I accept that there's actually no relationship. <laughs> While we're on the subject
1: of voter ID. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. While we're on the subject of voter ID, that brings us on neatly to our favourite section, Heroes and Villains of the Week. Um I guess I get to start this week.
1: Well, talk talk us through it, Coco. I mean, the the way that it's shaking down at the moment (laughs) is that we're sort of falling into roles of you trying to celebrate people and me constantly just trying to tear people down. I don't
2: think that's falling into a role. That's our personality. (laughs) That's how we are. That's an
1: accurate summation <laughs> yeah. of our personalities and careers.
2: Yeah. I feel, Do you know what? I was spoiled for choice this week. Yeah. I was really, really tempted to go for, of course, Graham Smith, CEO of Anti-Monarchy Group Republic. I mean, what a week he has had. And the things that he has done are so important, as, you know, Paul described. You know, yeah, that, I, those those battles, those little tiny battles he has are affecting all of us and we all reap the rewards. And he's not getting enough credit which makes me feel bad that he is not my hero of the week. Sorry about that, Graham, but you're, you know, hero of all time. I'm actually going to go for Tom Garner from Kenilworth. Tom heard us talking about the new voter ID requirements for the local elections on last week's pod, and he got in touch to tell us about his long and lonely one-man protest at the ballot box last Thursday.
3: So I spent all of polling hours, um, 7am to 10pm on the 4th of May, sitting outside my local polling station with a placard in Kenilworth, Warwickshire, against the new voter ID laws. I work as a historian and was shocked to discover that English voters had not been required to produce formal ID since 1832. This was during the reign of King William IV in the year of the Great Reform Act. I want everyone to vote, but voter ID rigs democracy at the expense of certain demographic groups. On the day itself, I was pleasantly surprised at how well it went. I expected some opposition, but many voters agreed with my stance. A lot said, good on you, as they walked past. Throughout the day, friends and family came to visit and kindly provided me with food and drink. I was even given a cup of tea and a plate of biscuits by a man I'd never met before, which was delightful. Clearly, This is an issue that voters care about. I'm aware that one man's protest will not change the law, but I hope that by raising the issue, it can at least be debated. Most of all, and I think this is important, I think that it shows that civil discourse is not dead in British politics. And I hope people can be encouraged by that.
1: That was so wonderful.
2: I feel feel like genuinely (laughs) emotional.
1: That was so wonderful. (laughs) Tom, that is so brilliant. I mean, that is what sort of, I don't know, celebrates the kind of best of this country, which yeah. is, you know, people participating in democracy, people engaging in peaceful protests, which this country does have a very long and important tradition of. And most importantly... There were biscuits. ...being brought tea
2: and
3: biscuits. <laughs> yeah, it was just...
2: A very, very British protest, and we rate it very highly.
1: So Tom got in touch with us uh, through WhatsApp, and that is an option for you. If you want to get in touch with us on WhatsApp, uh, the number is 07514... Six four four five seven two that's o seven five one four, six four four five seven two, and if you don't live in the United Kingdom, the number is plus four four seven five one four, six four four five seven two that's plus four four seven five one four, six four four five seven two
2: great well i mean it's it's going to be hard to top that the legendary status of Tom yeah. Garner but I do need to ask you to uh, just bring the mood down a bit yeah, with I know. your villain I'm of the I'm increasingly realising we've done this in the <laughs> yeah. wrong order
1: we should have we should have finished by celebrating Tom but instead let's uh, open the floor for a stream of invective and bile from uh, everyone's favourite Muhammad Salah tribute act, me. Uh, It's time for Villain of the Week. This is a man who has been a villain on many weeks. It's Matt Hancock, the man who puts the Matt Hancock into the phrase, another catastrophic error by Matt Hancock. (laughs) After he uh, had to leave his job as health secretary, after having mishandled the pandemic and then mishandled a woman's ass, he appeared on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, for which he was paid £320,000. In an interview, with Good Morning Britain a couple of months ago, he said that he'd given £10,000 of that fee to charity. Here's him talking about it. Well, I did absolutely give some of the money to charity.
3: £10,000 yeah, out of Yeah, and, and they're two brilliant charities. No, come on, 10, 000, I'm talking about the amount, not the charities. £10,000. If you didn't do it for the money, why not give the money to the causes which need it? I said I didn't primarily do it for the money, but also... But you know, if you've I, only given £10,000 uh, to charity and you've kept 320, yeah. it would s- seem to most people you can do basic arithmetic that you did do it for the money. And I'm not saying that that's know, necessarily wrong. I, I, I mean, just want to clear an honest answer for Yeah, it.
1: that's what I'm giving you.
0: The, I didn't primarily do it uh, for the money. I primarily did it to try to show who I really you am. you
3: primarily kept I, the money. I, 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 and I gave a five-figure sum to charity. £10,000 out of 330. Sure, and... Uh, you keep skating uh, off it and saying, well, I, a, a substantial sum. A, yes, a, a, a ten well, a, it a, is.
0: Uh, it is I, you know i and i'm really proud of the money that i raised for charity not, you know before and i'll do lots in future and you know i think that it's good giving money to charity
1: yeah he, he absolutely he showed us exactly who he is he, I, I i also think he's a singularly unimpressive man the fact that he has not even thought that this might come up as a question and seems surprised and flustered and gets panicked into saying i think it's good to give money to charity <laughs> no, that was- so weird. Can you imagine? This man was in charge of our public health response to a global pandemic. Yeah. And he crumbled under questioning that he presumably knew in advance was going to happen £10,000 out of £320,000 is about 3.13% of the total. He said he was going on it to let people know who he was and he said he was going on it not primarily for the money but he still walked away with a clean £310,000 but what makes this story even worse and why he is absolutely villain of the week is in the most recent update of all of the MPs registered interest which is all of the money that they and outside of being MPs, it transpires that for that interview, Good Morning Britain paid Matt Hancock £10,000. So he was already donating a dog shit sum of money. But he then got reimbursed the same dog shit sum of money to go on television and explain how dog shit the sum of money is. The man is an absolute fucking waste of space and a piece of shit. <laughs> to add to the fact that he already looks like a child's drawing of an adult man and the child hasn't bothered filling in any of the goddamn features. Matt Hancock. You're a villain of the week. You're villain in all of our hearts for as long as there is breath in the body of this nation. (laughs) Before we go and I have a sort of lie down and a relax to recover, quick quiz question for you, Coco. Yeah, go on, hit me. What is the most watched non-sporting event in the world? EastEnders. It's not EastEnders, although I do absolutely love the idea that you think of EastEnders as an event.
2: Oh, it is! It's sport for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking you about. Know what I you mean. know what I'm talking about. I,
2: I'm talking. You're talking about Eurovision. It's the
1: Eurovision Song Contest. Yes. there's a massive Eurovision party happening with the song contest in Liverpool this week. There's going to be an estimated hundred thousand visitors descending on the city from around Europe and beyond. Coco, surely with your love of hot pot bangers and ceaseless pageantry, the Eurovision Song Contest is right up your street. Oh,
2: yeah. When when I think of it's coming home, I'm thinking of Eurovision, (laughs) obviously, (laughs) the whole time. And I'm also very proud that we're actually taking it seriously this year because I have previously felt that we're not trying. And that is rude, Britain. It is rude not to send your best to Eurovision. No shade to previous Eurovision uh, contenders. I'm (laughs) sure you tried very hard. There was
1: huge (laughs) shade. There was an eclipse worth of shade going on. (laughs) Come on,
2: Britain has some of the best music around, you know, pop music around the globe. Unquestionably. Adele,
1: Unquestionably. Harry
2: Styles, Chaz and Dave. There's <laughs> so many of them. And we never put our best people forward <laughs> because we think it's cringe or yeah. something. You know, it was like the King's Coronation concert. I think the less we speak about
1: that, the better. <laughs> yeah. Why was Lionel Richie there? Where was Robbie Williams? <laughs> I, I think sort of the three quarters of take that turning up to headline wasn't a great look and captain tax avoidance might well get his knighthood. So but. where
2: I live, uh, the local famous band is E17. Of course, yes, yes. Of course. Yes. And so they
1: E17 for the sake of our international <laughs> listeners were a British boy band who had a real Heyday for about two years, I would say. Yeah, yeah, like about
2: that? two years. Yeah, they wore yeah. iconic puffer jackets. Yeah. Um, but they play plenty of local <laughs> them So related <laughs> events and that Coronation concert had that kind of local concert vibe. But anyway, I digress. The point is we've really pulled out all the stops this year and last year. That's why we performed so well. I'm yeah. really excited and delighted to see how we're going to do and I will avidly be watching it. And on a serious point, I've been... I've always had this theory that actually our cultural offering as the UK is very much neglected. I don't think it's a theory. I think it's a fact that it's neglected yeah. by the government. Yeah, and yeah. like, It makes sense to invest in our arts and culture because it brings in tons of money. Galleries are known for reinvigorating uh, coastal towns that have otherwise seen better days. And to see the numbers of people in Liverpool, the money that's being spent, the vibes, it is vibes Times vibes vibes squared it is yeah I think it's an amazing lesson for investing in our arts and culture and also it's just going to be So fabulous. the costumes are going to be amazing one hundred
1: thousand visitors descending on Liverpool from around europe it is it's very very exciting the last time we actually won it was nineteen ninety seven Wow so, you know it's where do you want? So does that
2: mean we get to ninety seven that's when Blair came in so we yeah. get to blame the labor government for that as well <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, uh, this time next week, uh, we'll be back at Pod Save the UK and we'll be able to find out whether our Eurovision success has saved the country. Um, but thanks very much for listening.
2: And if you have any thoughts, comments, feelings, not complaints, complaints won't be accepted, but <laughs> anything else, please email us at psuk at reducelistening.co.uk and tweet us at the UK. Pod Save the UK is a reduced listening production for Crooked Media.
1: Thanks to senior producer Musty Aziz and digital producer Alex Bishop.
2: Video editing was by David Kaplowitz and the music was by Vasilis Fotopoulos.
1: Thanks to engineers Alex Bennett and Hector Lee.
2: The executive producers are Louise Cotton, Dan Jackson and Michael Martinez.
1: Watch us on Pod Save the World YouTube. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod Save the UK.
2: And hit subscribe for new shows every Thursday on Apple, Spotify, Amazon or wherever you get your podcasts.